This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hello, I'm Oliver Condit, the editor of BBC Music Magazine, and welcome to the BBC Music Podcast. You can buy a copy of the magazine at your local newsagents or download our app to your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet. And for the latest music news and more, head to our website at classical-music.com. This week, we gathered together members of the BBC Music Magazine team for First Listen, a monthly slot where members of the magazine editorial team chat about and rate an important new release. With me in the BBC Music Studio today are Jeremy Pound, the Dipsy Editor, Rebecca Franks, our Reviews Editor, and Rosie Pentreath, our Online Editor and Staff Writer. Hello. Hello. This month we've been listening to a fascinating recording on the Sono Luminous label of music for String Quartet and Didgeridoo by Peter Sculthorpe, performed by the Del Sol Quartet and Didgeridoo player Stephen Kent. But is this recording a case of Didgeridoo or Didgeridon't? Let's hear the opening track, the String Quartet number 12, from Ubir. Thank you. 
So that was the opening of the String Quartet number 12 from Ubir for String Quartet and Didgeridoo. Rebecca, this is um, quite unusual music, but it just seems to sort of work so well, doesn't it? The didgeridoo and, and the quartet together, an unlikely combination. Yes, and it's interesting that in the booklet note, the Del, Del Sol Quartet talks about this blending of the kind of European quartet tra- tradition with traditional Australian instruments, the, the didgeridoo. And it creates this really distinctive sound world that does seem completely um, sort of inextric- inextricably linked to the landscape um, and the sense of history and place, really, in it's Australia. Like an earth like an earthing sort of note, like a drone at the bottom. I mean, you've got a very sort of European sound from the quartet, Rosie, haven't we? Mm. And then we've got this this sort of low um, sort of um, rumble underneath that sort yeah. of seems to connect with the ground, yeah, with exactly. Australian earth. Mm, yeah, it seems like um, that Sculthorpe's kind of consolidating his... He had a very kind of idyllic childhood um, in Tasmania and... He describes it as kind of a lonely place, but also, yeah, very idyllic childhood. They were just very remote. Um, and then, obviously, um, he studied in Oxford for a time and he, you know, had this career as a composer. Um, and it's kind of like he's it's consolidating those two parts of, of the composer's history in a way. Um, but, yeah, like you say, it really it's really grounded in the landscape. And you can... I mean, I've never been to Australia, um, but from pictures and from hearing about it, it seems like the music really evokes the landscape in a very powerful way. What is quite interesting, however, is that um, Sculthorpe was very, very um, politically sensitive here, is that he didn't go piling in and decide that he himself wanted to just bring a didgeridoo and add it to a string quartet. He was aware of the sort of... It has actually a, a relig- religious significance, does the didgeridoo for indigenous peoples. And so he actually waited until he was approached to write works for didgeridoo and string quartet. It wasn't just his idea to do that. And so it came fairly late on in his career. Mm, in fact, the, 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 the quartet we just listened to um, was completed in 1994, but the didgeridoo was only added in 2001. And it was actually inspired, I think, by William Barton, who's this fantastic didgeridoo player. And it was kind of, I think, he was actually the player that was specifically written for this this, this Pete Earthcry is or orchestral thing. Mm. But the sound really is a very European sound. I mean, you know, you can really sort of... Um, he's really, really wanting to unite the two. Uh, he, he, I think Peter Sculthorpe, first of all, wanted to portray Australia as this very sort of joyous place, wanted to write happy music about Australia, but then realised about, you know, how wrong, how false, how deceitful that was, given the plight of the indigenous people there. And this is, this is also, I suppose, the culmination of much of his philosophy about living in Tasmania and Australia. Well, I think also he sort of, because obviously he came over to Europe and he studied over, over here and travelled over here, and I think... Um, with sort of encounters with Schnitke and Arvo Pert and, and Goretzky, so these kind of the, the holy minimalistic, you know, and the, the kind of sense of sorrow and sort of lament that comes through in a lot of their music. You can hear bits of that, I think, in in his music as well. And I think he that was when he decided to mm. not just write simply joyous music. And I think you get a lot of that in the in the following quartet, the string quartet number fourteen, um, Quamby. What what I find extraordinary actually about um, this particular quartet is that he does in the third movement re- produce this sound effect. The string, the strings produce this wonderful sort of seagull-like crying um, on the strings, the sort of swooping sounds, which we'll hear in the moment actually in an extract. For me, it sort of sounds almost like shooting stars going across the very the, the sort of open Australian skies and the sort of very much connection with nature. It's quite extra- sad sounds as well, though, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. And it's extraordinary writing because he leads from that, which is very, very pictorial and very graphic, into quite a folky 
tune, a very, very beautiful tune as well, which follows that. It's, it's the perfect melding, as you say, of these two worlds here, that sort of him imagining the landscape and trying to portray it using the instruments in front of him and also adding this sort of... It's very melodic at times, this mm. music. And that, that particular movement is very tender, isn't it? It's very kind of lyrical and warm. Yes, and with the sort of seagull crying, it, it has this sort of poignancy that, mm. that would otherwise not be there. I think we should hear that extract from on on the high he- on, on high heels, sorry, from the string quartet number fourteen, the sort of transition from that sort of very uh, um, inventive writing into the um, much more sort of melodic folk song inflected music. So that was an extract from um, the string quartet number uh, 14. Um, Rosie, the didgeridoo playing is quite extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There's just a real range of different sounds. You've got the kind of these incredible shrieks that kind of go right through you and just really, yeah, kind of cut through and cut through the pain almost. Um, and then you've got uh, more kind of throbbing drones and yeah and more rumbling sounds as well yeah. don't you the, or yeah, sort of snarling sounds it does it sounds like it's, it's a really live kind of sound isn't it really you know we were talking mm. earlier about it sounded I, like it's coming out of the earth it really does sound like that to me. I find it works almost at its most effectively when it's serving almost as a pedal note and you just hear the low note of the didgeridoo underneath mm. and then you have the quartet playing just normally above it it's very simple but incredibly yeah. effective when he does that and it goes very well with, with with the string writing because with the with the bow on the violin you can just renew the the sort of stroke of the bow and to form a seamless sound with the didgeridoo there's a lot of circular breathing you know you, you don't hear a break in it it's, it's almost it's got sort of infinite lungs but this this sound just carries on and on and on and it's it's haunting in that way well, I think we should hear an extract from the string quartet number 16. Um, and the movement I found most moving, I think, was the movement called Freedom, movement number five. That was an extract from the movement Freedom from the String Quartet number 16. I think it was uh, music that sings of dreams of a free life beyond confined spaces and razor-wire fences. Um, it really is, Jeremy, a sort of sense of Peter Sculthorpe having an extreme sorrow about the Aboriginal people in Australia. Yes, he's um, 
throughout his music, is he addresses an awful lot of um, political issues to Scalthorpe. It's not actually just always about um, Australian issues. Um, he also talks about kind of more global political issues in other works. Um, he's, he's a very strong and very effective voice, actually. What is interesting, actually, in this particular string quartet is that um, well, the, the five movements are actually, they're just generic titles. There's loneliness, anger, yearning, trauma, and freedom. But his style of music throughout this quartet is extraordinary, particularly in the string writing in this instance, actually, rather than just the didgeridoo playing. Um, there's some real modal inflections in the first and fifth movements. And there's one little moment as well, which almost reminds me of sort of Bach's cello suites, kind of that moving between strings. It's, it's wonderful. It's so inventive. And I was going to say some of, the, some of the more sort of still moments really remind me of Beethoven, in fact. A sort of sense of building something out of a very small motif. Um, of, the, of the music just building in intensity and intensity, but actually using real economy of means. And you never feel like he's a magpie, do you? You never feel he's just pinching bits from other people. He's actually, this is definitely his own music. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the kind of sort of um, folky kind of, I think that was the word you, I don't know if that was the word you used, but feel of the, of the first movement. Modal. Because, modal, that was it. Modal, <laughs> modal feel. Um, because, uh, you know, that's very striking. He actually uses a traditional love, love song from... Afghanistan. But again, it's not a magpie approach that actually has historical significance because there were many asylum seekers who came over and many um, people from well, Afghanis who came over and were helping to build the Ghan, it's called the Ghan Railway that goes up through Australia. So that is again a sort of important part of Australian history that has then been used for these musical purposes. So let's have some scores out of 10, Jeremy. I knew very little about Sculthorpe until he died in, in the summer. Um, and now, since then, two discs in particular have really kind of drawn me to him. First was his complete piano works, um, which was released earlier on by Tamara Anna Chiskloska. And then this, um, which again is brought music to me, which is completely new to me. And I've loved all the works on it. I think there's, there's five works here, every single one of them I enjoyed. Very full of variety, brilliant playing, and I'm going to give it nine out of ten. Very good. Rebecca? I'd like to give this 8 out of 10. Um, similar sense of sort of discovery for me. Um, and I thought the playing was really very good. I'd be interested to hear different interpretations of it. I haven't heard many others, and I would be interested to hear that, to, you know, to get to know it even better. But, yeah, 8 out of 10. Rosie? I'm going to go with a bold 10, actually. Um, Skullthorpe's kind of awareness of... Australian and international political issues I think you know he's so sensitive to them and he's so clever about them and also the music is fantastic it's beautiful it was yeah an incredible listen um and the way he's made a string quartet work with a didgeridoo I think is you know everything from brave clever you know it just sounds incredible as well so yeah 10. I'm not going to be quite so bold. I'm going, am, however, going to give it nine. There is always room for improvement, I think. Um, but I thought it was the most stunning disc I've heard in a while, mainly because of the, the real um, juxtaposition of the didgeridoo playing, um, of which I didn't know much about. And I had no idea you could, the, the timbres and colours one could get out of it. Um, and the string quartet playing is absolutely superb. And Peter Sculthorpe's music is, is, is so poignant and, and so sort of packed full of meaning and, and sorrow and yearning. And um, so I thought it was just the most wonderful, wonderful disc. So uh, I'm going to give it, as I say, nine, which I think gives it an average of nine out of ten. And that brings us to the end of this month's first listen. Do join us next month when we'll be getting together once more to discuss another major new recording. Goodbye. 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 
Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.